August 1st, 2022. We're continuing in Masechi Berachot and Daf Gimala Amud Aleph, two lines before the end of the page. The Gemara had mentioned, as part of the story, with regards to Eliyahu Hanavi encountering an individual, one of the rabbis, in a horbai, found him in a desolate, um, broken down uh, shack of sorts, and he taught him that you shouldn't be there. It's inappropriate for you to be there, and as a result, what was learned, among several other things, is that it's asur to be in a chorba, even though it was chorba achat mi chorbot Yerushalayim, Rabbi said, deduced from that, you're not allowed to be in a chorba. Says the Gemara, Tanur Rabbanan, a beraita, the rabbis taught, there are three reasons why um, it's forbidden to enter into a chorba, to a broken down, abandoned home of sorts. Mipene hashad, the first reason, as we discussed in the last class, pene hashad, as Rashi says, shelo yomeru zona It looks wrong, people will say about you as they see you entering into that broken down, abandoned place. He must have a harlot waiting for him there. It's going to be an inappropriate uh, activity. Another reason is it's dangerous to your life. There might be, uh, it might fall down while you're there. There's a mitzvah from the Torah. It's a, it's a, a positive commandment to take care of yourself, to make certain that you don't put yourself in dangerous situations. And lastly, Lazarus says the Gemara, it's because of demons. It's because of those who will harm you in that circumstance. Before we talk about that last one for a moment, the Gemara will in its ensuing lines question why you needed three separate reasons. In other words, one of these would have been sufficient to say it's Asur, it's forbidden to enter into a Chorba. The fact that we had to list three separate reasons in the Beraita makes us realize, and this is classic Gemara thought, that each one of them is pinpointing a specific circumstance where the other reasons would not apply. What are mazikin? Of course, to define what mazikin is uh, is, is very difficult. We'll have to learn much gemara together to understand some of the depiction and the vision of the rabbis with regards to shedim and mazikin, these demons of sorts. But just in terms of quote-unquote why we don't find these any longer today, Tosafot in Masechet Yoman, Dafa'in Zayin Amut Bet points out, that several of the attributes and characteristics of these mazikin and shedim uh, we don't find today. For example, the Gemara over there is talking about the reason that it's important not to touch your eyes or any open aperture on your face or body before doing netilat yadayim. The Gemara says that if you touch your eye with your finger before doing netilat yadayim, it'll bring forth blindness. Tosafot questions, but we don't find such a reality any longer. Suggest Tosafot, perhaps the mazikim were present once upon a time, perhaps in a time and age of Talmud, of Mishnah that were mazikim in today's day and age either because of different environment or different world or whatever the circumstance is we no longer have that reality when did uh, Tosafot come along? Tosafot is generally speaking the late 12th and 13th century the Gemara is several thousand years before and the Gemara is finished in terms of its composition in late 5th century now that's an approach of Tosafot. Harambam, interestingly, will, in many Gemarot, where 
by definition, you'll have to address the issue of a mazik. In other words, over here in this Gemara, that there are three reasons, there'll be ramifications that you'll have to take into account if the reason of mazikin is applicable. But Harambam, in any and every circumstance where the Gemara mentions one of these, and it's necessary to mention halakha, has some sort of other interpretation. It either makes you believe that Harambam understood them allegorically, or Harambam was addressing it for his time period. Now, what we've talked about on several occasions is that although Tosafot makes that statement, although Lechem Mishnen is commentary to Harambam and Perek Gimal of Hilchot Shivitat Asur makes that point as well, although, although Rabbi Moshe ibn Habib in his commentary Tosefet Yom HaKippurim right there in Masechet Yom HaNdaf Zayin, each of them address it in similar fashions as does Rabbi Shalom Oluria in his Yam Shel Shalomo, a lot of the earlier sources with regards to this matter, we nonetheless, and we've even recently talked about this in a class, don't dismiss within the halacha realm the concept of mazikim. And what I mean by that is, much of the reason for netilat yadayim in the morning, for example, is mepene ruach ra'ah, because of this uh, uh, evil spirit, says the Gemara, or shibbeta, the name of the demon, says the Gemara Masechet Yoma. We don't therefore dismiss the laws and halachot with regards to Netilai Adam. We do at times adjust them, as per Hacham of Yosef and others, with regards to circumstances, but the concept, the construct of a mazik, stays a part of the system with regards to our practice, even if we don't quite, quote, find them any longer. Anyway, back to our Beraita, the Gemara says that there are three reasons why a Chorba is forbidden to enter into. Again, Hashad, Mapolet, and Mazikin. Says the Gemara, let's deal with each of these individually and understand why we need that reason, even though we have two other reasons. Mipene Hashad. First and foremost, because there's a suspicious nature, an air to you entering into that area, we're suspicious that you're entering in to be with someone to do something <coughs> promiscuously, says the Gemara, Why didn't we, why don't we say that the reason of it might fall down, after all, it's a rickety old wall, it's an area which has been de- uh, uh, abandoned, and as a result it's dangerous, that should have been sufficient. Why do you need the reason of Hashad as well? Answers the Gemara, In Aramaic, very often the Taf, switches with the sheen, hadash. We're dealing with a new one. What are you talking about a new one? By definition, hurba means old and abandoned. Says Rashi, it's a new old one. What do we mean by that? We mean it was recently abandoned. It takes time for a structure to start crumbling. It might be that nobody's living there, nobody's inhabiting or using that space any longer, but it's not yet rickety. As a result, the, the, the logic, the rationale of Mapolet would not apply. The logic of Mipine Hashad would apply. It's still forbidden to go there, says the Gemara. All right, so I got it. Mapolet would not apply when it's new. But tefukle mishum mazikin, maybe there's still an issue of mazikin. That should have been sufficient. Why do you need the reason of hashad and mazikin? The demons, the danger of that sense, in addition to the danger of, of, of it looking wrong, answers the Gemara bitre. You're dealing with a circumstance where there were two. The understanding of the Gemara is with two people, the danger of mazikin is no longer inherent and, and pertinent. It's only when it's a single person by his or herself in this circumstance that the mazikin will take effect. If it's two, 
they won't for one reason or another. The Gemara does mention that in several places. Ibitre says the Gemara, if there are two people entering into this Chorba, keep in mind, we're suggesting the why do we need the reason of Hashad? Because it's a new place with two people and the only issue is Hashad. Ibitre Hashad Nameleka, if there are two people, then there's no suspicion either. Rashi cites from the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin and Bet that with regards to the Isur of Yehud, the Gemara talks about the, the prohibition of being in seclusion a man and a, a male and a female the halakha is if there's two males together with a single female then it's okay it's not considered uh, yihud and as a result says the gemara if there's two men walking into this area it won't look wrong nobody will say my goodness i imagine because after all the logic is that each man will be embarrassed to do whatever that inappropriate activity is in front of the other one says the gemara so if it's two there's no issue of hashad either in turn can't understand why we need both hashad and mazikina's reasons for not entering into choba says the gemara bitre upirise the case must be that there are two people en- entering in. That's why there's no issue of mazikin. There's still an issue of hashad because they're perusim. The word perusim, parutz, literally means opened or breached. I remember that word as I've said every time it comes up in the Gemara from the years that I lived in Me'ashi'arim. Uh, for one reason or another, the people there were very scrupulous about many halachot, among them siniut. If they saw a person whom they deemed inappropriately dressed, they would yell at them, pritza, pritza. Parutz means that it's uh, they're inappropriately minded, maybe dressed people, but over here minded people. Now that happens to be the halacha with regards, that's right. And that happens to be the halacha with regards to, or throw rocks at you, that happens to be the halacha with regards to uh, Yehud as well. You should know the Gemara and Masechet Kiddushin does address that. How do you define who's parutz? But the Gemara, it's an, an important question, but the Gemara does say if the two men are perusim, then they can't be together with a woman. But I thought there's no Yehud. But if they're Perusim, then there is Yehud. How do you define Parutz? The Gemara is not fully clear about this. It's Mahlokat HaPoskim. There are some who argue that Shohan Aruch's opinion is that everyone Bizman is Parutz. You know, so as a result, you can't assume that there's no so Yehud. Maybe. Men or All men. important questions to be addressed. Maybe it doesn't make a difference. If you're Parutz, you're Parutz. Yeah. Anyway, that's a separate conversation for a class and... Yehud Masechet Kiddushin and All right, now we understand, says the Gemara, why you needed the reason, the first reason, Hashad, because in a circumstance where it's a new, old uh, walls, and in addition, there's two people, only Hashad, when they're Prusim, will be applicable, not the other two. Says the Gemara, The second reason you told me is because it's dangerous, and as a result, you shouldn't enter into there. Hashad. Why did you need the reason? Because it's dangerous. Couldn't we? Shouldn't we answer? It's just suspicious. And says the Gemara, umazikin. And furthermore, say that the reason is hashad and mazikin. Why do you need additionally the reason of mapolet? Answers the Gemara, bitre. If there are two people, then there's no issue of mazikin. Vikshad kashre. And they're kosher people. Which means to say, in such a circumstance where they're kosher people, they're not perusim, you'd as a result have no issue of hashad. You'd additionally have no issue of um, uh, of what's it called? Since it's two of the mazikin, as a result, what issue do you have? Only mapolet. That's why you needed the additional reason of mapolet. Lastly, says the Gemara, mipenehem mazikin. 
He told me the third reason is that there are these demons, there's this spirit which will affect you adversely upon entering into Vetefuklemipenehashadumapolet. How are you gonna explain why I need this reasoning of Mazikin if I already have Hashad, the suspicious activity, Mapolet, it's dangerous. Answers the Gemara Behorba Hadetin. Number one, it's a new Horba, which in turn means that there's no issue of Mapolet. Ubitre, and it's two people, ukshare, and they are kosher, which means to say, as a result, there's no problem of perus, of, uh, of hashad. That's why I need the issue of mazikin, says the Gemara, but wait a second, listen to your words. You just told me in your last two words that there are two people there. Why did you tell me there are two people there? To tell me there's no hashad. But if there's two people there, then by definition, there's no issue of mazikin either. That's what you told me at the top of the page. Says the Gemara, ibitre mazikin nameleka. If there's two, then there's no issue of these demons either, of that danger. Answers the Gemara, bimkoman haishinan. Explains Rashi, it's the local. Cal, give me a second. It's the location of the mazikin. In other words, quote unquote, if you entered into their dwelling place, even if you're two, they'll overcome the threat of their being two. Again, hard to fathom and understand exactly how mazikin work, but that's the Gemara's principles that it won't apply if there's two, but it would apply if it's mikoman, if it's their place. And the assumption is this place is a place of mazikin, even though there's two, which gets rid of the issue of hashud, because they're kesherim, even though it's new walls, quote unquote, which gets rid of the issue of mapolet, there's nonetheless an issue of mazikin. Each of these are haunted houses, sir. That's clear? Says the Gemara, vi'ibayit ema. A second answer as to why we need mazikin, even though we're dealing with two, le'olam behad. We're not dealing with two. There's one person, but wait a second, there's one person, and it's a new horba. So the new horba, we understand, removes the issue of mapolet. But if there's only one person in, person entering, then there should be no issue of hashad. In which case we are wondering why do we need both hashad and mazikin? Says the Gemara de Ka'e bidavra. Ka'e means it's standing. This horba is standing. It's situated in davra. Says Rashi the sadet, it's out in the field. De hatam mishum hashad leka, de ha'isha bidavra la shechiha. The circumstance since it's out in the field is there's no hashad. The assumption is either because of even a harlot for siniyut reasons would not go out to the sadeh, or alternatively, as a certain danger, women will not be found in a desolate um, sadeh, field uh, circumstance and environment, and as a result, if you see the person walking into the horba, which is in the davra, meaning in the sadeh, in the field, you don't have a suspicion, because it's in the field, won't be found there. There's no issue as well with mapolet, because it's a new one. However, there would be an issue of mazikin, umishu mazikin ika. That's what the Gemara suggests for the third rationale of mazikin. So we had an explanation to each of those three reasons mentioned in the Beraita for not entering into the Chorba. The Gemara now returns to the Mishmarot of the night. If you recall, our Mishnah talked about Atzofa Ashmura Harishona. The Gemara then, when it was dealing with the opinion of the Bili'ezer, mentioned his opinion that there are three Mishmarot, three of these periods during the night. Rashi explained its periods during which the Malachim, the angels, are singing. The Gemara described at each one of those junctures, 
Kadosh Baruch Hu Sho'eg Ke'ariyeh, talking about the destruction of the Mikdash and the loss of the presence of Am Yisrael with the Mikdash and in Eretz Yisrael. The Beraita here will mention two opinions with regards to whether there are three Mishmarot or four Mishmarot of the night, and then the Gemara will elaborate on these two opinions. Says the Beraita, Tanur Rabbanana Beraita, Arba Mishmarot Havaya Laila. Again, we're breaking the night into 12 equal hours, Pshaot Zimaniot. If there are four separate junctures, it means each one is three hours. That's the opinion of Rabbi Udah Nasi. Of course, the editor, as the Gemara tells us, of the Mishnayot. Rabbi Natan Omer. Other opinion, Rabbi Natan says, Shalosh. That's the opinion we had of Rabbi Li'ezer earlier as well. Says Gemara, What's the reasoning of Rabbi Natan? The second opinion that there are three Mishmarot. Dikhtiv cites a pasuk uh, with regards to the fight of Gid'on against Midian. The pasuk says, Vayavo Gid'on. Umeish Asher Ito, Gid'on and the hundred men who are together with him, Bikseha Mahane, to the edge of the encampment of Midian, Rosh Haashmoret Hatichona, at the beginning of the Tichona Ashmoret. The Gemara will assume that that word Tichon, Tichona, is a reference to middle. So it's going, the Gemara will ex- explain why they think that in a moment, but the understanding then is there are three Mishmarot. If you're able to attribute a middle time, it means by definition you had one before and one after, or you had an equal amount before and an equal amount afterwards. If it's four, you're not going to have a Tichona. You'll do it after the second, and but then it's not a Rosh Ashmura HaTichona. That's not a middle uh, Ashmoret. You're right, the Gemara... Five, but that wasn't our other opinion. Rabbi said four. Tana, the, the further teaching is Entichona, the statement that word Tichona is defined as Ela Shiyesh There's an equal amount before and after, or maybe alternatively one before and one after. Verbi, we turn now to Rabbi. That was Rabbi Natan's rationale. Rabbi Natan said the explanation is because of this Pasuk Tichona. Parenthetically, we saw for Rabbi Li'ezer in the Gemara earlier a different Pasuk. The Pasuk mentioned the word the shortest Shin Alif Gimal Sha'ag three times, and we understood that as the three separate times, Slah, Rabbi Hezkelanda, in his commentary to the Gemara over here, questions, why are you using this pasuk? Why did you cite the pasuk that you had earlier? His suggestion is, this is the first pasuk. This pasuk suggests there's three separate periods. That pasuk suggests that at each one of those periods, there's the crying out of HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachon. Says Rabbi, the Gemara for Rabbi, however, Maitichona, Achat min hatichona shebatichonot. The answer, the explanation is, it's one of the middle periods. Which means to say, if I have four, number two and number three are the middle periods, this was at the beginning of one of those middle periods. Not to say that there's only one middle period. Virbinatan, turns the Gemara to Rabinatan, mi ketib tichona tichonot, tichona ketib. Says Rabinatan, beautiful interpretation, Rabbi, but that's not what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says tichona, which we're interpreting as middle, and it doesn't say the middle of the middles or one of the middles. Says the Gemara, okay, we resolved Rabinatan's rationale where he learned this concept of there being three mishmarot to the lot to the night. What about Rabbi? Does he have a pasuk? He may have defended himself, albeit not so strongly, but he defended himself. Does he have alternatively a pasuk? He points to Rabbi. What's Rabbi's reasoning in arguing that there are four mishmarot for these periods to the night? Amar bi zereka, amar bi ame, amar bi 
Yoshu Ben Levi Katube Hadomer. One pasuk with regards to David Hamelech says, Hasot Laila Akum Lehodot Lecha Al Mishpetet Sitkecha. David Hamelech says, I'll wake up in Hasot Laila, midnight, the middle of the night, in order to be mode to you. In order to, uh, excuse me, akum lehodot lach al mishpetetzit kech. In order to be modet to you, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, for your mishpat tzedek, your mishpetet tzedek, your righteous uh, commandments and ways. That's one pasuk. Okay. The katuve hadomer, and then the other pasuk says, kidemu enai ashmurot lasiach beimratecha. My eyes preceded me in ashmurot. Uh, for siyah uh, imratecha to talk about your mentionings, meaning to talk Torah. Uh, wait a second, says the Gemara. Let's understand this. David Amelech is waking up in Hasot, or he's waking up at Ashmurot. Hakesad. How do you figure that I'm able to resolve? On the one hand, David Hamelech says that he's waking up Hasot Laila. On the other hand, the pasuk says that there's Ashmurot, seemingly suggesting that there are two. Mishmarot, after which he's waking up. Again, if I'm to argue there are three Ashmurot to the night, right? If there are three Ashmurot to the night, it means Mishmeret number one ends at four hours, the second one ends at eight hours, and the third one ends at 12 hours. If alternatively, keep, keep in mind, I go like Rabbi. First one ends at three hours, second one ends at six hours, nine and twelve. The Pasuk then has no contradiction. On the one hand, the Pasuk says, Hasot. Midnight, six hours. Next pasuk says, Ashmurot, in plural, it's after the first two mishmarot are done. That's how the Gemara is. Haketzad, how do you explain this, says Rabbi? Arba mishmarot halayla. There are four mishmarot to the night, each one being three hours, and as a result, says David HaMelech, Hasot, which is identical to after two ash mishmarot, that's when I wake up to praise you, Borei Olam. What about Rabbi Natan? How do you explain that contradiction in Pesukim? Which Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi, easily explained according to his position, he would maintain like Rabbi Yehoshua. Who's Rabbi Yehoshua? Rabbi Yehoshua, whom we'll learn about in the Mishnah Daftet, Ditnan, talking about Kiryat Shema in the morning, Rabbi Yehoshua Omer, Ad Shalosh Sha'ot. You have until the third hour in the day to say Kiryat Shema Shel, shel Shahrit. That was Rabbi Yehoshua Ben Levi. This is Rabbi Yehoshua. Two separate Rabbi Yehoshua's. Sheken derech melachim la'amod b'shalosh sha'ot. Pause for a second. Take in his statement. His statement is that with regards to Kiryat Shema Shel Shahrit, you have until the third hour because kings awaken three hours into the day. Pause again. Now understand, that means that effectively we push back, quote-unquote, the wake-up time for a king three hours. So whereas I'm envisioning the night as 12 segments, I now need to add three more segments for a king. Yes? Means I've given it an extra three hours. Ah, uh, says... What's that? Kings oversleep. They're able they to, and they'll get up three only three hours into the morning. Ah, says the Gemara. Now we'll all be able to understand. Sheet Delelia. Once you talked about him waking up at Hasot, that was the sixth hour into the night. 
plus plus the first two hours of the morning because they wake up at the beginning of the third hour. Ah, now let's piece this all together again. Envisioning and understanding the way we're seeing the night now, we saw six hours during the night from Hasot plus two hours in the day. That's eight hours altogether. David HaMelech has no problem then saying, I wake up at Hasot, and that's representative of two Mishmarot, which are to come. There's two Mishmarot, there's eight hours ahead, which after all, if we're dividing Mishmarot according to the Binatan, how much is each Mishmarot, is each Ashmarot? It's four hours. You effectively set forth eight hours. So 15 hours instead of 12 hours? Uh, it is 15 that. instead of 12, that's right. Now, not if I, the night. The night is not 15. The night is not 15, the night is, the night is 12. 12. I woke up at Hasot, right, which hour. is the beginning of Ashmurot, right, of two Mishmerets. How much is each Mishmeret for Rabbi Natan? Four hours, because the night is 12 divided by three, right? right. It means that I have ahead of me two Ashmurot, which is how much? Eight. But you don't have eight. You have only six ahead. Ah, I'm David HaMelech. I have until two hours into the day because that's when Kiryat Shema, that's when Derech Melachim is to wake up at the beginning of the third hour. I have eight hours ahead. It's Rosh Ashmurot at the beginning of two Mishmarot to come. Still the sixth hour. You're waking up at the sixth hour, which you look ahead and there's eight more hours ahead of you. Well, you don't really have eight more. I have eight more hours until Kiryat Shema. And that's when I wake up, quote unquote, if I'm a king. That's the derasha of Rabbi Natan. Amar, Mishmara Upalga. Nameh Mishmarot Karuluhu. Ravashe says you don't need an elaborate derashav, adding the two hours and so on and so forth. Here's how we read it. David Melech attests to himself he woke up at Hasot. Baruch Hashem. How much is ahead of him? How much is behind him? How much is ahead of him? Six behind him? Six hours? Six hours ahead of him. How much is each Mishmeret according to the Binatan? Four hours. Six hours means one Mishmeret plus a half. You can refer to that as Rosh Ashmurot. If I'm going to have a segment and a half ahead of me, I could say this is at the beginning of the segments to come, of the periods to come. That's his answer. Again, the derasha. Again, then, then for Rabbi Natan, with regards to the seeming contradiction as to when David Amelech is waking up at Hasot, when it's the beginning of Mishmarot, of Ashmurot, he'll resolve as Mishmeret Upalga and a half. Namez also Mishmarot in plural. Karula lehu. You would refer to it in such a fashion. Says the Gemara onward. Now that we mention the opinion of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, although the next statement seemingly has not seemingly has no relevancy to what we addressed until now, we will mention it. In truth, this next segment of the Gemara is very relevant to the Gemara and Dafyot Heta Mudalif. Over there, the Gemara will elaborate on the laws that we're about to learn. But for just a few lines, the Gemara presents this other statement of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. From time to time, you'll find that in the Gemara's statement will be injected because of an opinions that the rabbi who mentioned the last opinion, while we mentioned it, it triggered the mindset of the organizers of the Gemara to include this as well. Ve'amar bi'zereka. Amar bi'ameh, 
Amar Bioshua ben Levi. That was all the rabbis earlier who presented that last statement. If you look about eight, ten lines up, it said Amar Bizereka, Amar Biyame, Amar Bioshua ben Levi, Katubehat. No, but that's the same Bioshua ben Levi that we had mentioned over there with the contradiction in Pesukim as a source for B. Says the Gemara, En Omrin, says Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, En Omrin bifne hamet, ela devarav shelmet. It is forbidden to talk and to state in front of a dead person, a corpse, anything other than devarav shelmet, matters which pertain to that person, to that corpse. That's all you're allowed to say. Again, we don't know per se what we're referring to with regards to what you can't say. We know you can talk about them. We don't know the reason for why you can't say. Explains the Gemara, Amar bar kahana la amaran Torah. This prohibition of not talking in front of a dead corpse is specifically mentioning and talking words of Torah. Aval bemile de alma, if it's just idle chatter, or rather matters of this world, not idle, but something other than Torah. You're talking business. You're talking about how to deal with some issue. That's idle chatter. I'm talking about matters that are more relevant. But yes, letlanba, there would be no prohibition. How do you distinguish? Why is Torah asur and milad alma is mutar? Rashi explains this based on the Gemara there on Dafiot Het that the derasha goes like this. The pasuk says loeg larash heref osehu. It's a pasuk in Mishle. If you're lo'eg rash, rash is a poor person. Lo'eg means to make fun of. If you make fun of the poor person, eh, loser, doesn't have any money. Heref osehu, effectively what you're doing is talking about osehu. You're talking about his maker, meaning hakadosh baruch and you're making that into an abomination. Ahedpa, busha, klima. So by talking about one being negatively, when they couldn't do it any other way, you are effectively speaking badly about God. What does that mean for our purposes? It means here's a dead person who can't talk words of Torah. By talking words of Torah in front of them, you are saying about them, which in turn is really saying about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ha, see, you don't have the capability to do this. It's inappropriate. The Gemara later on on Dafiot Chet will suggest it's for that reason that you can't wear tefillin in close proximity to a dead person. Lo'eg larash. The rasha as well is you're not supposed to wear your sisit. It's in that context we talk about that, you know, with regards to the class on whether sisit can or should be worn outside or not. But anyway, that's the statement here in the Gemara, specifically and only the Isur with regards to Divre Torah. Says the Gemara onward, um, and there are those who alternatively have a different version. Amar barkana, the same same opinion, but a different statement. Lo amaran Torah. The isur of talking in front of the dead body, a dead person, is not only on divrei Torah. It's even on divrei Torah. And the understanding is on divrei Torah. And by extension, anything, it's inappropriate to be talking in close proximity to the corpse matters other than about that corpse and that person and body. Tosafot, on the top right-hand corner, three lines from the top, quotes the Pesach Halacha on this matter, says, Upasak Rav Alfas, quoting Rabbi Yitzhak Alfasi, Rif, you'll find them in the back of most standard Gemarot, Mishum Rav Hai, in the name of Rav Hai, one of the Geonim, Davka... Divre Torah. 
The Pesach Halacha in this sugya is what's forbidden, Divrei Torah. Aval Devarim De'alma, if you're talking about matters other than Torah, Letlanba, that's permitted. Does that mean anywhere? If you can see the dead body, you're approaching 67th Street, you're in the funeral hall, you're at the cemetery, under what circumstances? Vidavka, and basing himself on the Gemara later on, Adafiot Het, Be'arba Amot Shelo, specifically within the four Amot, six feet. Kohanim will generally speaking, unless it's one of their, yes, that's right, you're all right on this matter. Now, this is a matter of debate, which we'll address when we get to Dafyot Het, about what the Pesach of Shohan Aruch is on this matter with regards to, again, Devarim De'alma, Mile De'alma, we know Torah, and then additionally, how close, with regards to the Isur, there's important things to be discussed and addressed both, in that context. Both opinions, though, would allow idol talk? Meaning this is the so, Tosafot from Rav Haigaon are assuming the Varim de Alma are permitted. Well, even below that, I'm saying. We said, even uh, within uh, four Amot. Uh, we said uh, uh, this is quote important things. But the Yankees, example, you said that's so. Below. The second opinion in our Gemara in the Ika de Amre is for Kol Sheken Mile de Alma. Mile de Alma is Asur as well. But this is not even. No, no, it's worse, no, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I understand what you're saying. I think Alma means everything else. Alma matters of this world. In other words, Alma means matters of this world as opposed to Torah, which is out of this world, so to speak. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't think they're distinguishing. I was distinguishing just to say, even if it's an important... Okay, says the Gemara onward, just with regards, a few more lines with regards to that derasha that we had about David HaMelech. David HaMelech attested to himself that Behasot Laila he would awaken to uh, talk about the words and to be modeb, Ta'akadosh Baruch Hu, for Mishpetet Zidkecha. Says the Gemara, David would David HaMelech wake up in the middle of the night? Palga means half. Lelia, of course, means night. Ka'e means standing. Would David really wake up in the middle of the night? Me'urta hava ka'e. He was awake already. Me'urta. From the night. Urta. He woke up three hours later. We said derech melachim is to wake up three hours later. Yeah. As a result, the timing for David, we added on those two hours. David HaMelech, he attested to himself. He woke up Hasot. He woke up Rosh Ashmurot, right? It's only in terms of defining what Ashmurot was so for David. That's right. We expect more from our king, especially David HaMelech. He's not sleeping late except for the Gemara will tell us in a little bit on one notable occasion where he actually did oversleep. Says the Gemara, excuse me, Shalom HaMelech, David, Bepalgad would David really wake up midnight? Me'orta quite the opposite of your angle, Victor. Says the Gemara, he would wake up Me'orta from the nighttime. He didn't wake up in the middle of the night. He woke up. So you'll ask, so then he didn't sleep? No. So then the assumption is he slept a little bit beforehand, but he slept minimally, or he took naps of some sort, but he was up from the beginning. Dichtiv, after all, the Pasuk says in Tehillim as well, Kidamti baneshef va'ashavea lidvarecha yichalti. The Pasuk says, Kidamti, I was early to neshef. The Gemara will say in a moment, 
how they know that the word neshef means night. It means kidamti, I was early to neshef, to nighttime, va'ashavea, and I cried out to you. It means he was up from the beginning of the night. Umimai dahai neshef urtahu. And how do you know? What's your proof that that word neshef is a reference to nighttime, urta? Dikhtiv, after all, the pasuk says separately in Mishle, b'neshef be'erev yom there seems to be a tikbolet, a symmetry in the pasuk, synonyms, and neshef be'erev yom is identical to ishon laila va'afela, which of course is nighttime. As a result, says the Gemara question, I don't understand, when was David waking up? You have one pasuk that said, bahasot laila. On the other hand, the pasuk over here is saying, b'neshef, he would wake up, kidamti b'neshef ha'ashavea, amar avosha'aya, amar bi'aha hacheka amar. This is what the Pasuk and David through that Pasuk is telling us. David was saying, It's not about when I woke up. It's that I was never sleeping at midnight. I was up from earlier, but I never slept through midnight. I was always scrupulous and careful to be awake at midnight. I could wake up earlier and then doze off. Says the Gemara, here's how it worked. Until midnight, from the beginning of the night, David would be mitnamnem. The Gemara elsewhere, Masichim Megillah says, mitnamnem is nim velonim, nam velonam. It's an in-between state. It's when you look at people, including me, unfortunately, on Friday night, dozing off and then picking their head up quickly. It's where you're in and out. You're fully conscious to a certain extent, but you're in and out with your head dozing off, up and down. That was on the first half of the night. So he's trying to be involved, and he is being involved in Torah, in Hoda'ah, in Tehillah, in Shevach Ta'akadosh Baruch Hu, but he's like a sus, like a horse, Lehavdil, which is never fully sleeping, which is always half on and half off. Mikan ve'elach from Hasot Laila, Hayamit Kaber Ka'ari. That's the interpretation to these Pesukim. Whereas the first opinion said that the Hasot Laila meant just that he was never sleeping. Then the second opinion says he would get his strength at Hasot Laila. He was on and off until then. He was in and out, but generally speaking, on. And from midnight, he was awake like an Ari. Until then, like a Sus, like the in between state. From then onward, he was ashavea. He's, he's crying out. Excuse me, that's at the beginning of the night. But from then onward, he's ke'ari ravashemar. Third opinion. At hasot Torah. The reference in the Pesukim with regards to Neshef was one activity. What was the first activity? Torah. Mikan ve'elach. From that time onward, where he talked about hasot and mishpitzitzitkecha, he changed his, uh, his, his, uh, his vocation. Whereas initially he was involved in Torah. Mikan ve'elach. Bishirot ve'tishpachot. From then, then onward, he was involved in shirot and tishpachot, songs and praises to Akadosh Baruch Hu. There is an interesting thing over here because it it emerges then that the pasuk that describes again the beginning of the night, which was Beneshif, said, "What's David Hamelech doing? Ashavea. Ashavea. We're suggesting, according to this last opinion, is Torah." Ashavea is Torah. Rem is to the people who scream when they learn Torah. Minayin. 
this Gemara, not really, but the Gemara does in Masechet Sanhedrin mention that it's appropriate and maybe praiseworthy even for a person who's studying Torah to vocalize it, to have it said out loud. We know that even psychologically, when you articulate something, instead of just keeping it in your mind, there's a, there's a, a uh, added dimension of comprehension and connecting to that thought by, by now turning it into speech as opposed to just mind, Ashavea then of Torah is very significant. Says the Gemara, just a few more lines in finishing this thought, Neshef Ortahu. Again, your suggestion was that that word neshef was a reference to evening, night. And the Pasuk said that David would wake up and be crying out. We explained in one of three or four ways what he was doing then, but he's waking up. And we said neshef from that Pasuk in Mishle is a reference to night. Ha, nefesh safrahu. I have an other, another pasuk which seems to suggest with that same word neshef that it's a reference to safra, which means morning. Dichtiv, after all, the pasuk says in the context of David against Amalek, vayakem David, listen to the next words, mehaneshef ve'adhare erev. The pasuk says, lemahoratam. Pasuk says that David strikes them, Amalek, from the neshef, quote-unquote, until the erev, until the evening. You can imagine if I say from the blank until the night. What's the blank? Morning. My love, okay. My love, misafra ve'adlelia. Doesn't this, the simple, more standard way of understanding it, wouldn't it mean from the morning until the night? Says Gemara, lo, that's not what it means. Me'orta ve'adorta. It instead means from the night until the night. David was fighting a long battle. Says the Gemara. Yep. Okay, maybe they took different shifts, but it was a 24-hour as opposed to a 12-hour shift, uh, uh, battle. Iachif, that's the case of more more general and basic question. The Pasuk uses two separate words for night. One's Erev and one's Neshef. If it was a reference to morning, that's why it's Neshef and Erev. Iachif, lichtov meha Neshef v'ada Neshef. Oh, meha Erev v'ada Erev. Why is the Pasuk mix and match words? If they both mean evening and nighttime, why are you using two separate words? Ela Marava says Rava instead, a different interpretation. The word neshef, as Rashi interprets it, is a reference to jumping. Rashi cites a Gemara, Masechet Megillah, and Gimal, a Gemara elsewhere with regards to this word neshef from Masechet Hulin, that it means to jump. And there are two, quote, times when the, t- when the period of the day or of the 24 hours jumps. When does it jump? It jumps from night into morning and from morning into night. As a result, this word neshef can and will be interpreted both as night and as morning. When it's said it by David, our assumption is, David's not talking about the fact that he wakes up in the morning to talk about, everybody's up in the morning, uh, hopefully praying, and he's talking about something great about himself. Neshef, he's able to be Ashavia. He's praying and he's, and he's learning Torah for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When the Pasuk alternatively says it by David, it'll be referring to the time that night jumps into day. Here's how it goes. Amarava tere nashvehavu neshef or nashaf lelya ve'ate yemama. There's one period where the night jumps away, ate comes in daytime, and then there's also nashaf yemama, where the day jumps away, ve'ate lelya, and the night 
makes its way in, which means to say, in conclusion of this issue, we settled the matter that the word neshef with regards to David was indeed referring to night as opposed to morning. Um, we'll pause here as the Gemara will continue in the ensuing lines to talk a little bit more about the time period with regards to David's study of Torah, his shirot ve tishpachot Baruch Hu, Baruch Adonai Amen ve Amen.